0: Uh, will you turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4? We are there again, and uh, we are excited to continue uh, learning and hearing from God in His Word. Ephesians chapter 4, we will start in verse 17. Uh, you can read uh, on the screen or in your copy of God's Word uh, To yourself, I will read it out loud. Again, I will say this to you. If you are a visitor, we use the ESV. And so if you're finding a Bible in your phone, uh, the English Standard Version is the one we use. So this is what Paul writes to the Ephesian church under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness, their hardness of heart. They have become callous and they've given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned in Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What if I told you that I have in my possession a magic wand Which I could wave it over you, and you could change anything about yourself. Now, I do not have in my possession such a magic wand. No such magic wand exists, but I imagine that just as I said that, that many, if not most of us, have the exact idea of what we'd like to change. I would like. A smaller nose, or I'd like to deal with anxiety less. I wasn't, wish I wasn't anxious all the time. I'd like to lose weight. Whatever the answer is, <sighs> I wish I had a more outgoing personality. Whatever the answer is, there are solutions to that issue. Now, it would be much easier if we had a magic wand and we could wave it over our heads, and instantly those things would change. So the question is, Whether or not we are prepared to pay the price to see change become a reality in our lives. To the Ephesians in chapter 4, Paul explains that being a Christian means that you are different, you live a life that is distinct from those who are not Christians. And he's urged the people now for several weeks as we've looked at it to walk worthy. Walk worthy in unity with each other. Walk worthy as you uh, appreciate and interact with the church in ministry. And now he's going to widen the lens and he's going to challenge the people. He's going to challenge the church to walk worthy in every single way that marks you out as a believer in Jesus Christ. God's Spirit, which indwells the believer at their conversion then, enables the Christian walk. But, but we also partner with the Holy Spirit in making those changes. We can't just say, okay, God, do your thing, make me better. Wave your magic Holy Spirit wand over me and change me. Um. And I would suggest that most of us want to make those changes. But the question is, how do we do that? But it's important to note that the Christian walk starts with the way we think and the way we act. Let me say it again, because I think that's important. I'm going to say it a different way. God's Spirit enables the Christian walk, and we partner with Him by thinking and acting in a way that he's laid out before us. To be a Christian is to be a person who has repented. You've changed your mind about who Jesus is. You've changed your mind about who, what he means for you. You've changed your mind and you've adopted his priorities into your life. To be a Christian is to declare Jesus as Lord, following Him, living the life that He's laid out for you. Not not because you can do it, but because you've been clothed with Christ's righteousness. And in this passage, Paul, remember, he's speaking to the church. He wants to point out this stark difference, this dividing line between those who walk as believers and between those who do not. So let's look at his statements his argument first he's going to talk about a walk without christ paul draws this very clear line and some of the gentiles now we remember have gloriously integrated themselves into the people of god so that they are as he says in chapter 2 verses 15 and 19 no longer strangers and aliens but fellow fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of god But there were others in the Ephesian church, it seems, who had professed Christ, but they had never stopped living and acting like unbelievers. They were walking in a manner, living in a manner that contradicted their profession of faith. And there were markers of that lifestyle. And Paul gives to you, they're on your screen right there. I'm not going to make them a secret for you, but let's talk about them first. These people have darkened minds. Paul says it this way in verse 17. They walk in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding according to verse 18. Paul notes the ignorance that is within them. See how he's making his case, making his argument? In their natural state, people apart from Christ are dead in their trespasses and sins. That's what we talked about in chapter 2. Those who walk now as Gentiles display some of those same characteristics as dead people. Their darkened minds lead them, look at it, verse 18, lead them to be alienated from the life of God. What is it to be alienated from life? It's to be dead. So Paul's saying, you're living, you're acting, you're behaving exactly like dead people. And dead people are those who are apart from Christ. That alienation from God is marked by darkened mind, but also by hard hearts. That's what he says there. Verse 19, he describes their hearts as calloused. Very descriptive words, and it paints the picture that their hearts are harder than stone, harder than marble, as a matter of fact. They're not inclined to do things God's way. Now, just about this time, you may be thinking to yourself, now, I know a lot of unbelievers, and a lot of unbelievers I know are perfectly good people. They're good and they're decent people. What Paul is saying in that these folks have darkened minds and hardened hearts is not that these unbelievers are as bad as they can possibly be. He doesn't mean that an unbeliever can't experience the goodness of life's blessings. Think about it. Have you ever met a genuinely good and decent and kind and sincere non-Christian? Of course you have. And that is evidence that every single one of us is made in the image of God. And that image of God continues to shine through even though we have corrupted, been corrupted by sin. Every single one of us. Uh, Believers and unbelievers alike experience God's blessing in kids and marriage and friends and a good meal and fulfillment in your work. All of these things are evidence of that common grace that God gives to every single person as a gift from the loving creator. But even though they experience these blessings of common grace, people who are apart from God, people who are alienated from the life of God, their hearts and their minds do not acknowledge God as the giver of those gifts, and the result—look at it, verse nineteen. Eventually, those who have darkened minds and hard hearts begin to—and this is a, uh, this is a statement of judgment. They begin to give themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This, this is the pattern. Over time, a small step over the line no longer becomes satisfying. The appetite for those fleshly desires and indulging those fleshly desires grows. And it grows from satisfying those desires from, to, to a point where you want to flaunt those sinful and even perverse lifestyles. And so he mentions greed. Greed demands then the accumulation of wealth, which justifies the oppression of the poor, or of fraud, or of other lifestyle choices. Dislike of a person becomes hate, which morphs into violence, which can result in assault or murder. Lust spirals into sexual promiscuity, which perverts into unnatural desires. Homosexuality, transgenderism, pedophilia, polygamy. You don't have to look very far in our world to see people pushing the boundaries of their sinful lifestyles into new and more degraded dimensions. That that is the way of the world, just by observation. It shouldn't be surprising to us, Right? And it shouldn't be surprising to us, by the way, when unbelievers act like unbelievers. Uh, and our emphasis shouldn't be on changing their behavior, but, but we should proclaim to them instead the transforming work of the gospel. It, it's, only, it's only the Spirit of God that can shine light into a darkened mind. It's only the Spirit of God that can soften a hardened and calloused heart. But Paul is not talking to unbelievers here. He's talking to a church. And just like every church, there are people who profess Christ, but they continue walking in that unworthy manner. And when a Christian claims the name of Jesus, but continues to live in a way that denies that reality, it demands action from us. Christian brothers and sisters. We can't affirm, we can't excuse, we can't ignore sinful choices that professing Christians have made. Now listen to me. I am not speaking about calling out into the world and, 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 and declaring bad all the things the world does. That, that's what Christians sometimes are, uh, are, are characterized by. I'm talking about someone who is sitting in this room on a regular basis or has sat in this room on a regular basis and has said, I am a child of God, and then goes out and lives in a way that totally denies that reality. I'm always surprised, (coughs) excuse me, and saddened to see Christians, and it happens seemingly all the time on social media, They're interacting with these professing Christians, and they they give no regard for their sin. So something like this happens: Uh, a girl says, "I'm so excited! I'm moving into my first apartment with my boyfriend." And then, like, 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 comment, comment, comment. Oh, housewarming gifts! This is such a new chapter of your life. How exciting! From other Christians, the guy gets on the the Instagram. And he posts the announcement of his divorce. Explains, we've grown apart as a couple. We've fallen out of love, but it's okay because we plan on co-parenting for uh, in the best interests of our children. Comments of support, and of course, we should support. Declarations about how courageous that choice is. These are complicated moments. These are difficult moments. We we need to understand, as we talked about last week, how to speak the truth in love. But family, when a person who claims the name of Christ consistently acts in a way that disregards the law of God, we are called to treat them differently. We're not going to exile them. We're not going to kick them out. We're not going to shun them. We're not going to blacklist them. But we are going to call them back to holy living. That's what Paul's talking about here. We've got to remind them of the profession of their faith and the call of Christ to a life of discipleship. Our relationship with them will fundamentally change from one of fellowship and common mission to one of concern and correction. We've emphasized this idea of circle. If you've been around, you know this. Every person has a circle. God has brought people uh, into your life in a sovereign way, people close to you. God has placed them there, we believe. We've encouraged every person at CBC to keep track of those people on your circle card. Pray for them ask for opportunities to speak with them, ask for God to create divine appointments for them to challenge them to respond to the gospel. And there's categories, right? There's people who are far from Christ, but there's a category on there called prodigals. Men and women in your life close to you who have at one time proclaimed to be followers of Jesus but have walked the other way at this point in their life. They are walking, as this passage says, as the Gentiles do. And when a professing Christian is walking as a Gentile, Paul in this passage models exactly how we should act towards them. First, what does he do? Look at verse 20. He exhorts them. Look at what he says. That is not the way you learned in Christ. With the prodigals in our circle, we need to take the opportunity that God gives us and urge them to remember their salvation. I was there when you got baptized. You gave an incredible testimony of faith in Jesus and what God had done in your life. You talked about your intent to follow him. What happened? On that day, you asked us to keep you accountable to life in Christ. Here I am. I love you. I want what's best for you. And what's best for you is for you to be walking with Jesus. We speak directly, but we speak the truth in love. Might even go one step further. I think Paul does in this passage. We might, now listen, because you may disagree and you may push back right here. We might even need to question the authenticity of their faith. I think that's what Paul does. Look at verse 21. Bold move. He challenges them. That is not the way you learn in Christ. Verse 21, assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Translation, you said in the past that you believe in Jesus and that you're a follower of his. It is hard for me to see how the life you are living right now is consistent with that statement. And I worry for your soul. Could it be that your profession of faith was brought about by something other than the Spirit of God working in your life, and that the authenticity of that now is called into question, and that you are not a child of God? Whew. Would that be hard to say to someone? I think that's what Paul is doing here. He's speaking the truth in love. But he has a sense that their eternal destiny is on the line. And it's much too important to stay quiet. More often, you know what I hear? This is what I hear. Well, I know that this person believes, even though they're not living for God right now. Well, my son, who's 50, 60, 70, whatever years old, Gave his heart to God in vacation Bible school when he was a third grader, so he's okay. Hmm. Are you sure? If a person's eternal destiny is on the line, let's not give ourselves some vague sense of security on their behalf. Based on almost no evidence. Let's not make excuses. Let's not ignore hard hearts and darkened thinking. Let's get serious about reaching out to those prodigals and be willing to carefully, lovingly, ask questions of them that force them to reckon with their relationship with Christ. In my closet, I have a Los Angeles Dodgers sweatshirt. A couple of years ago, we were down south on spring break, and we were going to a game, and I thought, um, well, I'm just going to stop by TJ Maxx and pick up a cheap sweatshirt so that I will fit in at Dodger Stadium. It seemed like the right thing to do at the time. Now, I don't have anything against the Dodgers. I don't have a particular baseball team. I'm not even particularly a huge Baseball fan, but I pull on that sweatshirt when it's convenient to me, often when the Dodgers are doing well, (laughs) which is all the time right now. And when I wear it, people assume that I am a serious Dodger fan. And so they talk to me about that. Now, that is insignificant, as unimportant as the inconsistency of my choice in clothing is. My identity as a sports fan, my identity as a follower of Jesus is vitally important. There are only two kinds of people those who have new life in Christ and those who do not. And those who have new life in Christ are evidenced by the way that they live their lives, they're not perfect. And as believers, we're not going around lurking behind every corner waiting for someone to mess up and say, Aha! I knew it! Not actually a follower of Christ. But we are genuinely concerned for people who have said they understood salvation and yet remained darkened in their minds and hardened in their hearts. Because those who know Christ will desire to walk in a different way, even as they struggle with the old self. And we want to encourage them. We want to equip them to do so. In fact, in the next section, that's exactly what Paul is going to do. He's going to outline some practical steps for people who genuinely want to live the Christian life. So instead of a walk without Christ, now we look at the Christian walk. So look at verses 22 through 24. Paul outlines these three steps to living the Christian life. So now as we think about waving that magic wand over ourselves and changing something about ourselves, Paul's giving us what it takes to do so. Not a magic wand. Just as the Gentile walk was marked by a certain way of thinking and acting, so it's going to be with the Christian walk. And the first step, verse 22, is to put off your old self, right? To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. That's how you used to live. Now put it off. As a Christian, we're going to continue to battle that old self. And there are times when we choose to live according to that former manner of life. And the challenge Paul points out is that those remnants of the old man that remain in us are corrupt through deceitful desires. It's part of the journey in the Christian life. We have new life in Christ, but we also remain in a corruptible body. A corruptible body that carries sin's effects. You and I continue to be tempted, even as believers in Jesus Christ. Now, praise God that we do not have to fall to that temptation, but we're not going to be immune to it either until we're made perfect in eternity. The first step to walking worthy is to say no to those deceitful desires that remain active in us. See, here's the truth. You ready? People, even Christians, sin because they love their sin. They sin because when they sin, it gratifies their flesh. God has given us all kinds of good gifts to experience joy and the satisfaction of His good creation, but people have made the pursuit of happiness an idol that replaces their satisfaction in God. Think chapter 2, verse 3, Paul said it this way, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of our body. That is like default mode of human beings to do it our own way, to pursue our own desires. But as evidence of the new life that we have in Christ, we are called to say no to those passions, to apply God's limits to them. And we recognize and obey God's boundaries according to His good design but that's not enough. Paul's second step, and we're going to skip over and go to verse 24, is to put on the new self. These things go together. You take off the old clothes, you put on the new clothes. We take off the corrupt actions that characterized the old self like that pair of clothes that is filthy. But it would be weird to stay there, right? Because if you take off those clothes, you're 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 without clothes. You're naked. Can we say that in church? I think we can. But listen, in Christ, having been washed clean by forgiveness in Jesus, we are also given a fresh set of clothes. If I told you right now, do not, it's a little early, but some of you will be guilty of this. Do not think about what you're going to have for lunch. Don't think about it. Don't think about what you're going to have for lunch. What are you thinking about? Of course, you're thinking about what you're going to have for lunch. It is not enough to simply say, don't do X, don't do Y. Paul knows that, and so in addition to saying no to the old self, he encourages us to replace those deceptive desires by saying yes to the new self. As Christians, we are... It says here, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so when we say yes to the actions of the new self, we are making the choice to live as God created us to be. Remember that? Chapter 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. That's who we truly are in Christ. So when we say yes and we put on the new self. We're just living out who God has called us to be. But don't be mistaken though, this is not an exercise in trying to please God by our own efforts. Do you remember what Paul told young Timothy, Pastor Timothy, actually pastor of this church? He said, train yourself, 1 Timothy 4, 7, train yourself, discipline yourself for the purpose of of godliness. It is going to take constant rigorous lifelong training. But at the same time we don't have to be the ones who fashion the clothes of the new self because we because in our new life in Christ we are clothed in his righteousness in his holiness. As we say no to the habits of besetting sin that we have developed The Spirit will partner with us and empower us to recreate habits of right living in action. Joey read that scripture and it really uh, embodied that battle that you can see that Paul was going through in his own life. I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things that I want to do. What is going on? And if you're a Christian... You've asked that question, what is going, how come I can't do, how, how come I still, help? That's where that passage ends, isn't it? Who will set me free from this body of death but thanks be to Jesus Christ. Putting off and putting on has everything to do with behavior and habits, but that's not the end of the process, by the way. Look at verse 23. I, I think this is really where Paul roots down into the key of this whole thing. He says that we are to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. We don't change behavior by gritting our teeth and working hard. We do so in the power of the spirit. And one of the keys to the spirit's empowerment is our motivation in our thinking. What do you listen to Who do you believe? Do you constantly and repeatedly rehearse the truth of the gospel in your mind that Jesus' completed work of salvation on the cross has given us the Holy Spirit to enable us to live for Him and He who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it? Is that what you tell yourself? Because that's the truth. But too many times we say, I, I can't really do it. I'm not strong enough. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. When we speak the truth to ourselves, when we allow ourselves to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, what we do is we alleviate the pressure to perform. We no longer imagine that we're trying hard to live right, to gain God's approval. We'll no longer think that it's up to us to do good and avoid bad because our minds are where the battle is won and is lost. And it's all over Scripture, right? You can see it up there. So for you, Christian, this morning, let me ask you a question. Look at your life. Are you walking worthy? How different is your life from the life of of an unbeliever. Paul says that there should be a marked difference, and there can be. Don't just make a New Year's resolution to stop doing something bad, stop doing something unhealthy. Recognize that you, you've got to replace that with a good new habit. A couple of years ago, I was really... Um, I think it was the spirit of God. I was convicted of some things in my life that I was not very happy with. I was—I noticed that I was becoming increasingly selfish. I wanted to control the resources that God had given me. Um, and, and so, as I prayed about it, I—I I didn't just determine to stamp out selfishness in my life. Stop being selfish. Uh, I had to fight back against that impulse in control. So when I look in my bank account, it wasn't just, I got to make sure there's enough to pay the bills and a little bit to do some fun stuff. I started to ask God, what are the opportunities that are available out there to advance the Lord's work? And God, how would you have me contribute to that with my resources? How can I be generous? And I'll be honest with you, I am—I'm still fighting that one. I'm still putting off and putting on. I, I, st- I still have it in my mind constantly. What are my needs? What are the wants of myself and my family? And those are sometimes the first thoughts that come to mind. But then God reminds me about generosity. And in obedience, as I've taken those steps, the Lord has blessed. You may look at yourself and say, I've, I've got a, a spirit of biting and acidic sarcasm. I need to be an encouraging person. Oh, by the way, that one's me too. <laughs> um, maybe it's replacing that instinct to gossip with a faithful prayer ministry or putting aside the spirit of jealousy and expressing genuine happiness when someone else succeeds or the Lord blesses them. I wonder where Satan is using your desires to lead you away from Christ and how you can turn away from that deceitful thinking, those deceitful words, and turn your actions back to God. And if you're going to be successful in this, you're going to have to pay attention to what's filling your mind. No one else can really decipher what's going on there. Because Satan is going to be able to convince you that your desires are not wrong. After all, most of those desires are you know, pretty much God-given things, and you're just stretching them a little bit beyond the limits that he's set out for you. Not a big deal. You've got to become aware of those insidious little lies that the devil is so skilled at telling you. How do you practically do that? Well, I think you fill the warehouse of your mind with truth. Instead of constantly reading romance novels that plant the seeds of dissatisfaction with your spouse, you study and understand God's design for marriage in Scripture. Take a break from the glossy catalogs of hunting and camping gear which might have moved from innocent hobby to idle and think about the joy of your relationship with God when you uh, prioritize that as the most important thing. Don't accept the lie that me time is your fundamental right for mental health. And so any idea of sacrifice for others or for the Lord is out the door. Aren't those lies that the devil would tell you that would be perfectly acceptable to anyone in the world? We've got to combat them with the truth of Scripture. It's got to be part of our regular diet and our practice. We need to hear it preached and we need to sing that truth to each other. And as we fellowship, we need to encourage one another with that. This is what I'm learning. What are you learning? How is God teaching you and changing you and molding you? And if we don't, The subtle lies of Satan that are shouted by the world will drown out the quiet testimony of God's truth. I'm sure you all noticed that about six months ago, I started going to the gym. That's actually true. So I know you all want to know the secret to Body by Kevin. I'm going to tell you. I hate going to the gym, by the way. I would love to sit on my couch endlessly. I'd love to be in my pajamas as soon as the workday ends. But i got to say no to that. i got to put it off. i got to pick days and times where I am definitely going to replace the habit of relaxation with discipline, I've got to put that on and I have to remind myself right here that in order to live healthy, in order for old Kevin to be able to move and be active the best chance of that is for me to build a healthy lifestyle that's just one example Uh, it's not a spiritual example but Paul tells Timothy, train yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is of some value, but uh, discipline in the spiritual realm is, has value in all things. We can walk one of two ways in this world. We can walk for ourselves, fulfilling our desires, or we can walk worthy in a way that is pleasing to God. And in order to walk worthy, which I would suspect that if I were to take a survey Most of us, if not all of us, would raise our hand and say, that's what I want to do. It's going to take intentional partnership with the Holy Spirit to choose His way, to think His way, to live our lives in a way that shows the gospel, to put on display that new life in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and I suspect that my friends and family here, by and large, would say, teach us to walk your ways, teach us to live your ways. And God, so often it is not teach us, although it is teach us. It is allow us to practice that in disciplined partnership with the Spirit. God, there may be those here this morning who have whose lives do not match their profession of faith. God, convict them by your Spirit. Uh, Allow someone to come alongside of them and speak truth to them in love, to call them back to living the way that you've called us to live. Father, we are grateful because we know that at the end of the day, to walk as a Christian is to walk with all the success and joy and happiness that you have for us. God, help us to see that, help us to believe that, help us to that truth to penetrate our minds so that as we put off and put on and put off and put on every day, God, we will see the long-term vision of that and we will keep moving into a more sanctified reality with you. We pray all these things in the name of your Son. Amen.